Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I want to thank you for listening. We have on this site nearly, actually over now, 3,400 audios featuring great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea and other lands, Bible studies. You can now go to Google Play Store and the Apple Store and download the Church One app for sermon audio. Enter Hackberry House, I do hope, as your choice of broadcasters. My books are on Amazon.com, and you can contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com. Reading today from the book that we've been reading for quite some time now. This is Volume 2 of The Christian in Complete Armor by William Gurnall. He was the English Bible scholar and pastor who died in 1679. The section we read today begins how to establish judgment in the truth. We're talking about the girdle of truth, one of the pieces of the armor of every Christian. Number one, embrace truth sincerely. A disobedient heart and an unsound judgment like ice and water are produced mutually by each other. Some men's judgments are fickle because their hearts are so full of guile. A stable mind and a divided heart seldom meet. 1 Timothy 1.5 says the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. When love receives a truth, it is held securely, but lust after worldly interest can cause it to be laid down again. Amnon was soon as sick of Tamar as he had ever been sick for her. And a person can discard precious truths with as much contempt as Amnon showed for Tamar. A wayward heart can easily bribe the judgment to vote on its side. It makes us wonder if such a person were ever in love with these truths in the first place. Two, Follow the ministry of the word. One great goal of scripture is to establish us in truth. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Why? That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. As you receive the word, pay attention to the doctrinal part of the sermon as well as to its application. One is necessary to make you a solid Christian, the other to make you a warm Christian. The Levites caused the people to understand the law and caused them to understand the reading, Nehemiah 8, 7 and 8. Planting must go before watering, and teaching should go before exhortation. Number three, avoid confining your judgment to any person or group. You must live by your own faith, not someone else's. Look as long and as hard as necessary to see truth with your own eyes. A building propped up by a neighbor's house is too weak to stand very long. So do not let authority from man, but rather evidence from the word, decide your judgment. Man's conclusions are no stronger than a piece of scrap wood bracing a building, but truth stands on the eternal foundation of solid rock, God's word. Quote scripture instead of man. 
And yet in doing this, be careful not to lean so far this way that you lose the proper balance. We must not condemn the judgment of an elder whose wisdom and learning command reverence. Surely God has placed the true path in this matter squarely between defying men and deifying men. Adoration of persons conceives the traitor to truth, which makes the crowd cry Hosanna to error and crucify to truth. Herod's silver robe dazzled the eyes of spectators while he made an eloquent oration. But when the flatterers shouted, It is the voice of a god and not of a man, he was eaten of worms immediately. The glittering varnish which some speakers use blinds the judgment of their admirers to the point that they conclude their speech is divine in origin. It is hard then to love and esteem man as a man, and to reverence him and not be in danger of loving his errors also. This is why God would have his children call no one father on earth, to despise none and adore none. Next, beware of curiosity. The person who listens to every new opinion and covets the newest religious novelties is walking dangerously close to error. The itching ears Paul warns about commonly form a nasty scab of error. Tamar lost her virginity by being naive, and chastity of the mind is its soundness in the faith. Thus people compromise this soundness if they give themselves to every doctrine which is preached. We must first be hearers and then disciples. Curiosity concerning many sects and persuasions can make a person skeptical of settling on the truth. Augustine, for example, confessed that he had gone through so many delusions that the errors made him afraid of truth itself. If a person has too many experiences with quacks, he will have a hard time trusting the skilled physician. Number five, humbly seek an established judgment of God. A traveler who is so sure he knows the way that he will not ask directions may be the first one to get lost. Watch out for pride. No matter how confidently it soars now, you will later find it wrecked in the ditch of error. This is the destination God has made for pride, and it must keep his appointment. Pride can make you a stranger at the throne of grace and torn, humble, uh, praying for truth into ambitious arguments. So it is necessary for prideful men to be left to shame so when their understanding does return, if God's mercy allows it, they may bless the Most High, the way Nebuchadnezzar did. Guard this judgment deeply in your heart. The God who gives an eye to see truth also gives a hand to hold it. What we have from God we cannot keep without him. Cherish your closeness with him, or truth will not keep her intimacy with you very long. God is light, but you head for darkness as soon as pride suggests that you turn your back on him. Number six, do not be offended at differences of opinions. How can a person know for sure what is truth when there are so many different beliefs in Christianity? Some have stumbled so hard on religious dissension that they have abandoned the truth they once held. 
And while they are not stranded on the island of atheism, they have been driven out into uncertainty, unwilling to anchor their judgments until they see a present resolution of all differences of judgment and opinion to find unity in every aspect of our religion. Surely they are as foolish as the man who refused to eat until all clocks in the city struck twelve at exactly the same time. Number seven, know the value of truth in your heart. Many rare libraries have been destroyed by rude soldiers who failed to realize what a prize the books were. And the destiny of truth, too, depends upon the hand who finds it. If it comes to one who draws strength and sweetness from it, truth begins to operate effectually in his heart. But if someone takes it without reaching for its divine comfort and sanctifying power, it is soon dumped in the valley as trash. And then there are the people who who dance around the candle before they themselves blow it out. When I hear of a man who once held original sin as a truth, but later denied it, I fear he got tired and forfeited the effectiveness of the truth before his judgment lost the truth itself. Believers sometimes slide away from cherished old principles of Scripture during unsettled times. Consider the singing of Psalms, for instance. So many have laid down this practice that I must ask if they ever enjoyed precious communion with God in the first place. Have their hearts ever danced up to God with heavenly love as they sang with their lips? How strange to hear a godly person deny this. If you ever met with God at this door of the tabernacle, Christian, did your heart grow cold before you threw away the duty of singing praises to him? The next topic is a free and bold profession of faith. The second way that truth is assaulted is by violence. Satan patches the fox's skin of seducers with the lion's skin of persecutors. The bloodiest tragedies in the world have been acted on the stage of the church, and the most inhuman massacres committed on the harmless sheep of Christ. The first man ever murdered was a saint, and he was killed for religion. Luther said that Cain would keep killing Abel until the end of time. The fires of persecution can never quite go out as long as there remains a spark of hatred in wicked hearts on earth, or a devil in hell to fan it into flame. Many men, who could never be torn away from the truth by argument and error, have been separated from it by persecution. Therefore, the second necessary way of girding truth about the Christian's loins is by courageously professing it. Truth without courage makes a man like a swordfish. He has a sword in the head, but no heart to use it. But a person becomes unconquerable when he is empowered with a holy boldness from heaven to draw forth the sword of the Spirit and embrace the naked truth by freely professing it in the face of death. This is to have our loins girt about with truth. Number one point under that, maintain a steadfast profession of truth. 
The apostle pressed this instruction upon all Christians when he said, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Paul spoke against those who avoided assembling together with saints for fear of persecution. For he believed men who staggered spiritually like this stood next door to apostasy. We must not, then, spread our sails of profession in a calm, but fold them up as soon as the wind starts to rise. Pergamos was commended for her bold profession. Jesus said, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you, It was a season when the deceiver sat in the judge's seat, and Christians often drew a sentence of death. Blood was spilled right before their eyes, but it did not make them deny the truth of Christ's blood given for them. Paul delivered a strict charge to Timothy concerning a steadfast profession of truth. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, patience, meekness. While people all around you aim at the world, run after spiritual riches with a chase as hot as theirs. But what if this business of uh, seeking righteousness cannot be transacted peaceably? Should we close up shop, put our profession on the shelf, and postpone holiness until favorable times have come again? Paul's solution is to fight the good fight of faith in verse 12. Do not abandon your profession of truth, but put your life on the line to keep it. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment, verses 13, 14. He warned, if you hope to see the face of Christ with comfort at the resurrection, who chose to lose his life rather than deny the truth, do not back down from your profession, but rather stay put beside it. By the way, those verses that I refer to are in 1 Timothy 6, not where we are right now, but in 1 Timothy 6, 11, all the way through 14. In his confessions, Augustine tells the story of Victorinus, a Roman famous for rhetoric. Late in his life, this man received Christ and came to Simplicianus, whispering, I am a Christian. But the pious man wisely protested, I will not believe it or count thee so till I see thee among the Christians at church. At this, Victorinus laughed and gestured, Do these walls make a Christian? Must I openly profess it? He was fearful, being but a young convert, though an old man. Yet time passed, and after Victorinus was more confirmed in the faith, he seriously considered that if he continued to be ashamed of Christ, Christ would be ashamed of him when he came in the glory of the Father. Again he went to Simplicianus, and this time said he was ready to go to church. There he chose to profess his faith openly, saying that he had professed rhetoric for years. So why should he be afraid to own the word of God? 
God requires that Christianity come from both the heart and the mouth. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10.10 While confession of the mouth without faith in the heart is gross hypocrisy, to imagine faith without profession of the lips is both hypocrisy and cowardice. Number two, God has entrusted saints with his truth. Truth is the great treasure which God delivers to his saints with serious instruction to keep it against all that try to undermine it. Some things we trust God with and some he trusts us with. The most important thing which we put into God's hand to be kept for is our soul. He's able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. And God trusts us with his truth, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. And so Paul exhorts Timothy to hold fast the form of sound words, that good thing which was committed unto thee. If a man entrusted with keeping the king's crown and jewels is to protect these earthly valuables from being lost or stolen, how much more serious the responsibility of the Christian to protect God's treasure. The word of truth is the testimony of himself, which God gives to saints, his chosen witnesses, whom he calls to live out this truth by a free and holy profession before all men. Number three, hold your profession of truth in the face of danger and death. We have the truth at a cheap rate now, But how soon the market may rise, we do not know. Truth is not always available at the same price. We must buy it at any cost, but sell it on no terms. There has always been and always will be to the end of the world a spirit of persecution in wicked hearts. And even as Satan researched Job before he laid his hands on him, persecution is working now in the spirits of the ungodly, Engines of death continually grind out the thoughts of Satan against professing believers of truth. They already know exactly what they will do if power and opportunity are provided for them to carry out their sinister desires. Satan comes first with a spirit of error and then of persecution. He poisons men's minds with error and then fills their hearts with anger against believers. It is impossible for error to bring any kind of peace. It is a brat of hell that must favor its father. Whatever comes from below can be neither pure nor peaceable. God has let this sulfurous spirit of error remain, but he has given us a girdle of truth for protection. But not everyone who applauds truth will follow it when it leads him to prison. And not everyone who preaches it is willing to suffer for it. Arguments are harmless things, blunt weapons which bring no blood. But when we suffer, we are called to fight with the enemies of truth. And this requires more than a sharp tongue and logical brain. Where will disputers be then? They will appear like cowardly soldiers who, in basic training when no enemy was in sight, seemed to be as brave as decorated heroes. To be on truth's side then meant only recognition and reward, not danger 
and death. But God has chosen the foolish to confound the wise in this service, the humble Christian by his faith, patience, and love for truth, to shame men of high standing and no grace. Next time, how to be girded with the profession of truth. I do hope you'll keep, uh, keep coming back for these very insightful comments. Well, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and Lord willing, we will talk again real soon. Bye-bye.